Blog Talk Radio. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations, you're now members of the 114th Congress. Good morning. I'm Congressman Danny Davis, representing the 7th District of Illinois, and I want to take this opportunity to commend Kevin Gates and Operation Reform for all of the outstanding work that they're doing, and to welcome all of you to this timely gathering of what I consider to be one of the most important issues facing our nation today, which is mass incarceration and the successful reentry of individuals returning home from jail or prison. We know that each year more than 600,000 individuals are released from jails and prisons. And in an effort to reduce recidivism and increase the self-sufficiency of individuals, I, Senator Rob Portman, and many other members of Congress have been greatly involved in passing, funding, and reauthorized in second chance legislation in the Congress. We have held countless discussions, meetings, forums, and briefings. In addition, each year I hold a panel discussion at the Congressional Black Caucus's annual legislative conference to discuss the best practices and solutions for successful reentry programs. Since being signed into law with bipartisan support in 2008, the Second Chance Act has made possible nearly 600 grants, totaling about $300 million, to increase public safety and reduce recidivism through the development and coordination of pre- and post-release reentry services, such as employment training, substance abuse treatment, mentoring, and improved community supervision. The evidence-based programs authorized under this legislation reduce recidivism and as a result help increase public safety. Hello. Hello, America. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And I'll tell you right now, folks, uh, as we say every patriotic Thursday here at AJC Radio, it's going to kick off here. Folks, hold on to your chairs, to your dining room table, wherever you might be right now. AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill kicks off right now. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I am Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and our friend Dennis Merritt. Welcome back, Dennis. And uh, we miss you. And uh, t- all the team is here tonight. How's everybody doing this evening? Doing pretty good, Lamont. Doing great. And it's good to be back. There we go. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, this is going to be a good one. Who you heard at the top of the uh, moments ago was Congressman Danny Davis from Illinois, and tonight we're bringing an exclusive interview uh, that he gave AJC Radio, and you only hear it here 
uh, here on AJC Radio. And Lisa, you uh, were with me uh, doing that interview. Yes. What a wonderful gentleman doing some things. As we say, does this does the bar continue to get raised here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill? I think it does, Lamont. I mean, it seems like every interview we do, every congressperson that we meet, it just it just makes you more and more excited to meet the next one he was such a genuine sweet man it was just it was so nice to talk to him oh definitely and folks we're going to bring that interview to you uh here momentarily uh and i'll tell you what danny davis uh congressman danny davis doing some things uh doing some things that make a difference not only in the state of illinois uh but around the united states of america and what a what a wonderful man uh, and you're going to learn a lot about uh, Congressman uh, Danny Davis. So Lisa, the disclaimer for our people. Lisa, the disclaimer, if you could, please. Yes, sorry about that. We just want to remind our, our, our listeners that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. And you want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening. And thank you for that, Lisa. And uh, folks, feel free tonight. This interview is going to be uh, pretty extensive, but it's a good one. Uh, Dennis, we were talking prior to the uh, coming on the air tonight and uh, some things I saw you penciling in, if you will, uh, on Congressman Davis. Uh, your thoughts on the man prior to us even uh, getting started here. I, I'm really uh, thinking about the uh, Second Chance Act that uh, – uh, the congressman, uh, you know, help initiate and help get passed, and and I'll tell you, with uh, with our criminal justice system, uh, we got to give people a second chance. I mean, if if I get out and I can't get a job, uh, most likely I'm going to get back into the justice system and find myself back in prison. So I think it's truly commendable that he's truly pushed that, and now it's out there, and now he's making sure that we have the funds to keep it going. I tell you, that's awesome. I mean, we got to start figuring out a way to educate, uh, to get get you know these 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 people that have been put in prison and they finally get out. Let's 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 get them back into society in a, in a role where they can actually contribute. No, oh, absolutely. All those things are critically important. Uh, and again, we talk about uh, folks getting involved. Uh, again, we're in an election year, ladies and gentlemen of America, and it is critical that you get out to the polls uh, to vote. Uh, every vote matters. Every vote, every vote counts. Uh, and these are things that we have to get involved with as we see, again, a new uh, situation developing uh, in, our, in our political uh, situation here in this country right now. So, uh, folks, definitely uh, get ready to, the, the, you know, to settle in tonight uh, for Spotlight on Capitol Hill as we get ready to address these issues uh, and I think they're they're uh, good issues, Cliff. As we were talking prior to the show, uh, your thoughts on Congressman uh, uh, Congressman Davis and, and and your thoughts about uh, the man. Well, a lot of the things that he fights for, um, you know, is is in the the uh, you know judicial and criminal uh, justice system reform. I mean, one of his acts, the Law Enforcement Torture Prevention Act, I mean, this is even before it gets down to a person getting in prison. That he's, He says that uh, this, this act amends a, fem, a federal criminal code to impose a prison term, term of up to 10 years on any person who, acting under color of law, commits or attempts to conspire to commit torture. Increases that prison term to any term of years or, or life in prison result, if results 
if death results, I'm sorry, from that torture. So, and he's saying, hey, torture is intentionally inflicting severe pain or suffering, whether physical or mental, on a person for such purposes as obtaining from that person uh, information or a confession, uh, punishing that person or intimidating or coercing that person or another person, or for any reason based on discrimination. So he's saying, hey, for these law enforcement people who are getting people, uh, you know, behind closed doors, saying, well, we're just interrogating them and, and, you know, beating them, boiling them in a shower, electrocuting them, uh, threatening to to throw them in a cell with somebody else just to get a confession. He is saying that needs to be punishable by up to 10 years in prison. And I commend him for that because you know he's got to have kickback from every arm of law enforcement. But the reason he's getting that kickback from them is because there's so many of them who are guilty of committing torture on people that they're uh, interrogating. No, absolutely. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, uh, this, uh, this, this aims to be a humdinger tonight uh, as we get ready to address tough issues facing America right now. Uh, these are things that, again, we have to pay attention to, uh, and if we don't, we'll find ourselves in a situation uh, where things will continue to get worse. We want to take a moment right now to give our condolences uh, in regards to a, the loss of a, a young lady by the name of Tiffany working for Congressman, um, Congresswoman excuse me, Sheila Jackson Lee uh, by the name of Tiffany, known as Tiffany on the Hill. Our condolences go out to her, to the staff of Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. Uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you uh, as we uh, uh, say goodbye uh, to a young lady, Lisa. Um, we never got an opportunity to meet her personally, uh, but had an opportunity to speak with her. Yes. Um, dedicated young lady uh, to bring in and uh, to making it sure that the member uh, uh, members on the Hill and the Judiciary Committee uh, were taken care of. And uh, your thoughts on that? Well, I think it, she's very young, and I think it's very tragic that she is gone at such a young age, and she will be missed, and I'm sure she already is missed, and I'm just so sorry for her family and her friends that are going through what they are at this point, and I just, our, my prayers are with them. And thank you for that, and a very special shout out to Crystal uh, and Mike McQuarrie up there uh, working with Congresswoman Jackson Lee. Uh, the information was brought to us uh, last week. We, we, we dare not. Uh, uh, start this program without giving us special condolences and, and let, let you know our thoughts and our prayers from the entire AJC Radio family uh, is with our family on Capitol Hill. We appreciate that. Um, also, uh, we understand there was a shooting uh, in Virginia. Uh, I believe uh, that was uh, earlier today. Uh, not, not sure on the details of what all happened. Our thoughts and prayers go with the, the families. Uh, whatever the situation is, however it has developed out there, uh, it seems like when we begin to have tragedies in America, they continue to basically copycat, start falling one after the other. Uh, we got a serious issue in this country, uh, and I think we got to take seriously the situations that President Obama is doing, uh, Dennis, as far as gun control, trying to save lives. Uh, and it's time that we uh, do that in a bipartisan fashion. Because guess what? Whether you're Republican laying dead on the street or Democrat or independent or whatever you might be, that is a loss of life. And, and I think that's the big picture. Dennis, your thoughts on that? Exactly. I mean, uh, so many uh, lives are young lives. I mean, being lost because of, uh, you know, all the things that's going on in America today. And, and uh, everybody's so hyped about the gun laws. No, you're not going to take away my right to bear arms. Uh, we got to be realistic. It's really not about taking away rights. 
It's about saving lives. And, I mean, uh, we really got to look at our laws and make sure we understand that some people just shouldn't be shouldn't be given the right to bear arms. I mean, if they don't know how to use if, if they're not going to use that right, uh, you know, in a, in a way to defend themselves or something like that. I think we need to get away from you're taking away my right to bear arms. It's not about that. Again, I can't sit, stress it more. It's about saving lives. Oh, absolutely. And uh, uh, that's those, again, those things are crit- critically important. I want to say, folks, go out to change.org. Uh, every program on, on AJC Radio is dedicated to the Patriots of America, uh, known as the IRP6. Uh, we, and who are they? They are Dave Sapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Uh, Patriots of America, and we ask you go to change.org, search IRP6. Folks, sign the petition. It's critical that it be signed as we seek for justice for these men. And uh, uh, it doesn't take a couple of minutes to go out there and sign for a a cause uh, that is to bring innocent patriots home who have been wrongfully convicted by a system that has failed. Again, that's IRP6 at change.org. Please sign the petition today. Also, we ask you to go out to Renee Lima Marin's uh, change.org and type in Renee Lima Marin, the gentleman that was sentenced to 90 years in prison. Uh, and, uh, excuse me, was sentenced initially, my understanding, was 15 years, got out. A, a ze- overzealous judge who was the prosecutor on the case ended up uh, looking into the release of this man who actually complied with everything he could possibly comply with. In uh, complying with parole, he was parole compli- was on parole, got off. Six years later, after complying, he decided to start a wife, a, a family with his wife. He has two children. He bought a house, maintained employment. I mean, the model person to say, you know what? I made a mistake. I want to do the right thing. He's the he's the model. He's the poster child of that situation. And the judge comes back and says, there's a clerical error. Put him back in prison for 90 years. Unfair, folks. Go to change.org. Sign that petition as well for her, for that family, as we fight for justice for everybody that has suffered the hand of injustice. This is Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And on the other side of this break, folks, it gets nothing but American. And that is with Congressman Danny Davis making an impact, a legend, if you will, on our nation's capital and around the world. We're coming right back with Spotlight on Capitol Hill, shining the light on Congressman Danny Davis. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or At the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-5278. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, 
to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. In Delaware County, more than 200 lives have been saved from an opioid overdose by police with the use of naloxone. I am District Attorney Jack Whalen. I, along with Delaware County Council, invite you to be part of the solution to the drug overdose epidemic by bringing your unused and expired medications to Rose Tree Park on Saturday, April 23rd from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Join me at Community Day and enjoy live music, free food, and family activities while helping to make our community drug-free. Community Day is brought to you by the Heroin Task Force and Partners for Success Coalition and funded by the Delaware County Office of Behavioral Health Division of Drug and Alcohol Programs. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America and all of our listeners around the United States and around the world. In Australia, our friend Danielle down there in Australia, a a huge supporter of the RP6 and of this program. We send a very special shout-out to you and all our friends and family, if you will, uh, who support AJC Radio and the IRP6 and what we're doing here uh, here on AJC Radio. We appreciate it. And, uh, folks, uh, we're back with the spotlight on Capitol Hill with Congressman Danny Davis. And, uh, uh, Dennis, you know, he's got a lot to say, and uh, we're going to give him an opportunity to actually speak to what's on his mind uh, what a delight and a joy uh, in speaking with Congressman Davis. Uh, again, myself and Lisa uh, had the opportunity to interview him, an exclusive interview you'll only find here on AJC Radio, about what his passions are and what got him into uh, politics and all those good things. I'll tell you what, folks, you no need to put on a tuxedo tonight or a three-piece suit. Uh, we're just having a conversation around the kitchen table with biscuits and gravy and uh, I tell you, that's the feeling you get with Congressman Davis. We're just having a talk with Grandpa or Uncle or whoever you want to call him. And tonight, uh, we're going to get ready to get that interview ready to go. And uh, as Lisa shared earlier, Lisa, uh, what a, uh, what a, what a uh, great uh, man in Congressman Davis and the things yeah. that he's doing. You know, we just felt like we were at, 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 a, at a summer picnic or something, <laughs> uh, just having a good old time with the congressman. So, yes. ladies and gentlemen, sit down. You know, if you got your dinner with you, just, just pull up a chair and get ready for an off, awesome interview with Congressman Davis. We're going to bring that interview to you right now.
And uh, ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And joining us tonight, Congressman Davis, uh, I'll tell you, making some big differences out there in, in, in on Capitol Hill in our nation's capital. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart for this interview. And Lisa, uh, welcome to Congressman. Hi, Congressman Davis. How are you? Well, Ms. Stewart, it is indeed a pleasure, and I'm delighted to be with you. Well, I'm glad to hear it. We're so glad to have you on tonight. And and I'll tell you what, Congressman, you got me a little hungry. And me and the Congressman were talking earlier. He began to break down the menu there in Illinois of cornbread and buttermilk. And uh, uh, I tell you, I haven't had dinner yet, Congressman, so uh, you, you've addressed a, a hunger issue today. But we appreciate you. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Congressman is going to be addressing his passion, some things. Uh, we were talking earlier in regards uh, on the other spotlight with Congressman Marino, uh, Lisa, and uh, Congresswoman Karen, Karen Bass. Bass. Yes. Uh, and Congressman Davis is, is actively involved. Uh, I did see that uh, when I was looking into that. I saw that he's a part of that. And awesome, Congressman. We, we hope we can sit down and, and talk when we come out there at the end of May for this celebration, uh, honoring our youth and our young people. Uh, if you can keep your schedule open a little bit, we'd love to sit down and talk to you again at the end oh, of May. Oh, we look forward to it. Our children are indeed the future. you got to teach them well and let them lead the way. And Absolutely. if we provide the opportunities for them, they will be the change agents that we need in order to make our country and our world not just what it is, but what it ought to be. So I would definitely look forward to that. And of course, much of my background and work has been with children, with young people. I'm a former public school teacher. Uh, My wife retired as a public school teacher. My sister was a public principal. Wow. Um, My sister-in-law was a public school teacher. So children have always, young people, always. I was a Sunday school teacher growing up and, 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 and taught Sunday school. So at my church. And so children have always been an exciting and integral part of my life and is probably one of the main reasons that I decided to do a career in what I would call public service. Well, absolutely. And and Congressman Davis, on that note, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions because I think America right now stands at a crossroad of decision. Uh, We face an an election year where the transition of power shifts. Uh, Members of Congress, there will be seats open uh, in the House, in the Senate, of course, the uh, House of the Presidency, uh, that seat opens up. And I believe Americans are at a point of vulnerability and uncertainty as we approach an election year. And there are things that have happened uh, in our country over the last year or two that has been troubling. And I go into that, into that, into that statement, rather, to, to this question. We see the situations in, in your passion with children and again, the future of America. When you have police and communities on the racial divide, as we have seen with Michael Brown, the Eric Gardners, the Walter Scotts, uh, those situations that have brought such emotion in America and divide among races, if you will, what do you believe our steps must be as we approach this year to bring change to those troubling situations for those communities? 
and our children that are the future. Well, you know, when we think of that, and that's why I always suggest that his law enforcement has never been friendly to African Americans in this country. <laughs> and so it's nothing unusual. I'm I'm saying if we go back to slavery, if we go back to Denmark Jesus, if we go back to Nat Turner, we go back to Gabriel Prosser. I I mean we go back to efforts to free ourselves from social, economic, and political bondage. We were not helped <laughs> by law enforcement officials. I mean, that was not the purpose. And and so there has been a level of distrust generated down through the ages. And you would think that that distrust would cause individuals who go into that arena to act differently, but oftentimes it does not. In my district just recently, I've had two individuals killed by the police. One fellow was a young boy whose father called the police. He was home from school and just over at his daddy's house but he didn't take his medication and he had a plastic baseball bat and his daddy figured he better call the police. Another woman had lived in the same building, opened the door and all, and they ended up shooting her and killing both she and the the young fella. I've had other incidents, and these are all people by and large that I know. I'm a kind of hands-on guy. I'm not a guy that sits in a legislative body and just vote on things. And so, actually, the young fellow who was killed, Laquan McDonald, his family are people (laughs) that I know. I didn't know the other lady, but uh, the church where her funeral was held and all, the pastor, they're friends of mine. And so I know the neighborhood. I went to the house. So the Black Lives Matter effort that has been generated primarily by young people in many places throughout the country, even the students at the colleges and universities who have been protesting, I am so excited about this kind of engagement that I don't know what to do. And so I think I was one of the 10,000 people who marched uh, down Michigan Avenue in Chicago uh, as a result of our displeasure with how law enforcement, uh, Fred Hampton, who was assassinated by the police several years ago as part of the Black Panther group, I just uh, gave his mother an award on Sunday at one of our black history programs. So I've been in the middle, in the thick of these kind of things. And I think the activism that we are experiencing right now is going to be the greatest producer of change where young people and others are saying to people who are running for public office, 
if you're not willing to address what black lives matter to us, then don't come looking for my vote. Don't That's tell it. me about some other stuff if you don't understand the frustration that we feel. I know African Americans, if you're over 50 years old and a police car pull in behind you, people start shaking, trembling. And they're so glad when the police car move on or turn yeah. off. They don't know what to do. And these are just decent, ordinary, regular citizens, never committed a crime, never committed an offense, ain't got no dope in their car, ain't got no weapon under the seat. But they fear law enforcement, and law enforcement should really be to serve and protect, not to have people in fear of them. So change is on the way. It's coming. It's coming. Sam Cooke was right. (laughs) It might be a long time coming, but I know some change is going to come because our communities are doing what they need to do in order to bring it about. Okay. And Ferguson, I'm personally familiar with. Actually, uh, I spent part of my childhood next door to Ferguson in Kenlock, which was the little black town next to Ferguson in 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 Missouri, both outside of St. Louis. So it's coming. It's on the way. And we 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 may not be Cadillac. But we ain't no Volkswagen and Pintos. And our community has learned a great deal. And they're yeah. still learning. And they know that the value of the vote gets results. And I think we're going to see that. Of course, we saw it when Barack Obama was elected president. I mean, many of us didn't think that we had advanced to that point where an African-American, or some people might even say an African in America, would be elected president of the United States. And yet, here comes Barack Obama defying all of that. Now has served almost uh, going on into eight years, and the country is in much better shape now. Yeah, it was when he took office, although we got some serious problems and difficulties. And and, and Congressman Davis, uh, to that fact, uh, we've noticed that the president has has taken huge steps uh, in regards to criminal justice reform in this country. Uh, We see here you're a, a active member of the Congressional Black Caucus. Is that correct? I am an active member of the Congressional Black Caucus. And some people would say that criminal justice reform has been a big part of what we do and what I have done. Actually, the Second Chance Act is my bill, which some people consider to be a signature piece of legislation dealing with 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 effortless recidivism. Yeah, we are the most uh, incarcerated nation on the face of the earth in actual numbers plus in percentages of the population. We got 
probably two and a half million people in jail and prison in this country, with about 700,000 of them coming home every year. And good stuff is happening there. The president went to visit a prison. You, you ain't never heard of no president of the United States going to a penitentiary to no. visit to see what's going on. I've read books about presidents, hundreds of them. I never have read one about no president going to the penitentiary to see what it was like and to say to people, there is some hope and some help. There are some possibilities the way. And yes. so I take my hat off to President Obama, not only for that initiative, but for other. We got a budget that we are beginning to review right now. And I've been advocating that we ought to be providing Pell Grants for prisoners. It's in the president's proposed budget. Yes. So that individuals can go to college and have it paid for and come out and try to get themselves a job and work and take care of their families and become productive members of society rather than kind of littering and lottering around unemployed in and out of correctional institutions, begging doing whatever it is that you do because they can't find any other work. So good things are happening. Yes, we, we, we're fully engaged in that process. And that's, uh, Congressman Davis, that is something that is very uh, encouraging. Uh, we deal with issues uh, in regards to, and I, I made this statement before, and I want to get your thoughts on it, um, that all the efforts... Uh, that the president, members of Congress such as yourself that are pulling together. We had the opportunity to talk to Congressman uh, Butterfield on our trip to D.C. Uh, a couple of weeks ago and his passion as the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus to bring together a change and initiatives. Uh, we, we also met with Congressman Jeffries uh, of the judiciary. Uh, another Hakeem young man. Jeffries, yes indeed. Yeah. Young brother from New York doing his thing. And these, it's like you said, people are coming together on this issue. Like you said, it's, it's, it's front and center of criminal justice reform. And we ran into a situation, Congressman, again, we look forward to talking to you in May when we come out there. But we, a question to you as far as, as we deal with criminal justice reform, accountability issues on the bench with judges and with prosecutors. Uh, Congressman Jeffries alluded to that point that they, there has to be accountability and if we don't start dealing with those issues when you have this racial disparities not only happening in the streets of america but when they find their way into the courtrooms behind the bench with judges how do we address that issue and as we work towards as you say a better day that's coming what steps do we need to take as a country as congress to make sure that the people that are behind that bench are fair and impartial regardless of what you're well, you know, education is very important. I am fond of oftentimes saying that a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, that we have to drink deep because shallow drinking intoxicates the brain. We, in, in, in order to be not only conversant, but to have the kind of influence and impact. Now, 
in my hometown, the hottest race going on right now is the race for state attorney for Cook County. We have a big race going on that's hotter than even the presidential primaries or the president's races is state's attorney because after the police had had shot and killed Mr. McDonald, 400 days went before the state's attorney really did anything or attempted or whatever and that's part of what's driving this race that's what's driving people realize that they can do something about it because they can elect a state's attorney of their choice somebody who's going to look at justice a little differently than perhaps the person who's there now has yes. been looking at it same thing is true with the election of judges or even when you have appointment and it's not easy because if you got for example we've got an election coming up I mean March the 15th and Countywide, we've probably got maybe 50 or 60 people competing for the judge slot. Now, if you don't take the time to read up on who these individuals are, to know who they are, or to be involved with some organization or group that's going to give you the kind of information that you need, in order to make your decision, then you really don't have enough information to vote intelligently on this many people all running at the same time. So you got to take your time and take some time and learn. Now, we're fortunate that uh, we've got passed in our legislature finally something called sub-circuit judgeships meaning that individuals who would run in those sub-circuits would also have to live in the sub-circuit where they're running that Mm -hmm. has generated more African American more Hispanic more women judges in Cook County, Illinois, which the second largest county in the United States of America. The only county larger than Cook County is Los Angeles County. So we're talking about a county with over 5 million people in it. And if you got 50 people running for judge, and you're going to vote for 10 or 12 of them, and you haven't gone through the sea to know who they are, you may just vote for somebody you don't want to vote for. But <laughs> uh, so education, you got to take the time. There's no easy route. I mean, there's no, we say, no free lunch. If you want to vote intelligently, you got to study the issues. You got to study the people running 
know the difference between who they are. And if you don't know that, then you're just punching something or you're just touching something, but you're not really voting. You know, you yes. you plan at voting. <laughs> no, absolutely. So it does take some time. And ladies and gentlemen of America, what you're listening to right now is an exclusive one-on-one interview with Congressman Danny Davis from Illinois, born in Parkdale, Arkansas on September 6, 1941. Congressman Davis is making a difference in our nation's capital. We're coming back with more from Congressman Davis. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, and tonight we have the honor and the privilege to shine the light on a legend, a man that is leaving footprints, Dennis Lisa Cliff, in the sand, if you will, of the horizon and on the steps of America, and that is Congressman Danny Davis. And we've been privileged to hear some of that interview. Dennis, a couple of thoughts really quick, what you're hearing from the congressman. Oh, I'm liking what he's talking about when it comes to justice, you know, criminal justice reform. And then him, when you ask the question in reference to the corruption in our justice system and our judges and uh, how he says, uh, you know, we need to educate and we need to get more judges and, you know, uh, of different colors and different backgrounds uh, so that, you know, we can get a fair, sh- you know, that every a person can get a fair shake. So I really like that's what it, what he's talking about. Well, folks, you know, we don't want to hold the dessert off the table. Uh, that may be cheesecake, apple pie, or a buttermilk uh, uh, cake, whatever you want to call it. We're going to go back to the menu. And who's on the menu tonight? Congressman Danny Davis. Let's pick it up where we left off. No, oh, absolutely. And, and I think that's so important that, that you got to do your homework, so to speak. Uh, and because so much, Congressman Davis, is at stake. Uh, this is not something that th- – you're talking about lives at stake. When you're talking about judges, you're talking about elected officials. We're talking about the lives and the, uh, the pursuit of happiness, if you will, of the American people. And well, that's- even – yeah, even the presidential election is important in terms of the influence and impact it will have on our federal yes. judiciary. I mean, the president, whoever gets elected president of the United States, probably 
get an opportunity to nominate possibly three members of the Supreme Court. Yes. And depending on who those individuals are, they will determine in many instances national law. What it is that is legal, what is constitutional, what you can do, what you can't do. And so the president, while he or she won't be the sine qua non for all things and won't have all power, powers that they have that nobody else will have except the president of the United States. No, oh, absolutely. And, and and Congressman Davis, uh, my next question for you, a lot of talk about Obamacare, uh, the health care system in this country, which I believe a monumental uh, accomplishment by this president uh, in, in Obamacare, Obamacare becoming law. Uh, your thoughts as we have over the years tried to other presidents attempted to implement health care to the level that the president has gone to do and has, has achieved. Uh, your thoughts of that moment when health care became what it did become as a result of Congress and the president working to get that done. Now, no other president <laughs> has been able to do it. Right. And I must confess, from my own vantage point, I would have to say, that I know a great deal about healthcare. Actually, yeah. I've worked in the health arena for many years prior to running for office. I worked at two community health centers, the Martin Luther King and the Miles Square. At one, I was the director of training, and the other one, I was special assistant to the president of the company. I have sat on the boards of hospitals, I have taught public health at the University of Illinois at the School of Public Health. I have studied it. I actually have a doctorate's degree in public administration yes. with focus on health care organization. So health care is something that I have actually put a lot of time, energy, and effort into. I used to be president of the National Association of Community Health Centers when I was a working person in that arena. And we've just celebrated 50 years of those institutions being in force and in play. And I was around at least 45 of those or 46. And um, I often say that the Affordable Care Act is the best thing that's happened to health care since the Indians discovered cornflakes. <laughs> I mean, but it, it's the greatest piece of health legislation that we have had passed in this country since Medicare and Medicaid in the mid-1960s. When we passed Medicare and Medicaid, what we did was come up with a way to pay for health care for low-income people who would qualify for 
Medicaid that is for children, for people who were handicapped, for people who had disabilities, and of course, Medicare paid for senior citizens, meaning that if you're 65 now over, you don't really have to worry about basic payment for your health care. So that happened in the mid-60s, part of the Great Society program. And I must confess that Democrats were in charge of the national government at that time. But Dr. Martin Luther King and people had marched and demonstrated and been whipped with uh, hoses and pipes and bitten by dogs. And all of that produced this era. And this legislation, and 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 people like John Lewis, who was just totally immersed in the movement, yeah. and some of us were in different places. I had a chance to meet Dr. King, to march with Dr. King, to be inspired and motivated and stimulated and activated. But that's what brought about these changes in law in the mid-1960s that generated. Then we went through this whole period until here come Barack Obama. I have ever since I've understood health been in favor of what I call a national health plan, national health insurance. Everybody in, nobody out. Everybody getting what they need without regard to their ability to pay. And there are some countries in the world where they do this, where they actually do it. Everybody gets health care. Nothing is more important than health care. And so we went through. Barack was brave enough. Actually, Hillary Clinton tried to do it earlier. I mean, in terms of she wasn't the president, but the president kind of had her in charge of their effort. It didn't happen then. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, we've had people who broached the idea. And Barack Obama comes along with a plan where we have gotten over 20 million people now who have health insurance who didn't have it and those people who argue against it who say it's no good it's costing them all of these are people who already had health insurance (laughs) you you won't find one of those 20 million that didn't have it saying anything about the Affordable Care Act that is negative. Now, people who already had health insurance and maybe their premium may have gone up a dollar or two or whatever, they talk about it, about it because it seems like they don't want other people to get what they already have. And that's, yeah. what, that's when I say a little knowledge. If you don't understand this, 
and you just hear some guy railing about, my premium went up. Yeah, but here's a hundred other people right down the street who never had no premium. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Who had to go to the county hospital if they had one and sit in the waiting room sometimes for a whole day before you got a chance to be seen. Now they can go to their primary care physician with regularity. They can have appointments and go and be taken care of and not have to wonder what's going to happen to baby Susie if she's got a fever, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's let me tell you, I don't know anything that's more rewarding to me than to have been engaged and involved with this administration as we were able to develop the Affordable Care Act. I was on the the the, the uh, Ways and Means Committee at the time that we wrote the bill. Ways and Means was one of the main committees that uh, was involved in writing it in the House, Ways and Means, Energy and Commerce, and Education. And so to be a part of the unraveling and the development of that system has been one of the most uh, exciting things that I've ever done in life. Well, that's awesome. And uh, Congressman Davis, I think the points you make, and I think to the to education, to the knowledge, like you say, a little knowledge, and causing Americans, if nothing else, to take pause in decisions that affect their lives as well as the lives of their children and their children's children. These are very, very important issues that face Americans every single day. Uh, and as I review and research your history and uh, your connection, it seems a very clear, Lisa, connection Congressman Davis has with people. Yes, absolutely. He can understand. You can't work in healthcare, Congressman, that long and not understand. And I understand your exuberance when it comes to uh, the Affordable Care Act, because you've walked the halls of hospitals and sat on boards. You've seen some things that the average person is not going to see. And I think that's what we say so clearly when we do Spotlight on Capitol Hill. These are things that I don't care how cold it is in, in Illinois, would cause people to strap on those boots, put on those mittens, and say, you know what? I'm going out to the polls, and I'm going to vote for Congressman Davis again. Because well, you, yes. You know, I grew up in rural America, went to a one-room school. <laughs> Never went to school more than five months a year during the time that I was growing up. My mother and father were sharecroppers. As a matter of fact, my daddy finished the fourth grade, and we used to joke because about it because we saw his report card where he was 19 years old and in the fourth grade, and my mother finished the eighth grade, and the, both of them were two of the most educated people that I have known during my entire life. 
and defining education, it, it kind of says to me, it's not just something that you know, but it's also something that you do. Yes. And, and so my mother used to tell us, I know you did that because you didn't know any better. Because if you knew better, you would do better. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, she had ways of reinforcing <laughs> oh, <absolutely. laughs> what, what she was telling you. But, yes. yeah, when you, and that's why I think African American History Month is so important where we share with our children and grandchildren what it has been like for their people in this country. I I got friends who sometimes my wife would say to me, why are you telling people about you grew up and so on and so So I said, look, uh, I'm telling them because they need to know that life for me ain't been no crystal stair. It had a whole bunch of tacks in it, holes in it. But you got to keep on climbing, boy. Yeah, you live in the ghetto. You live in what's called the hood. Yeah, your parents may not be together. Yeah, you may get some food stamps. But you better get up from there and grab you a book and turn off the television and keep on studying and keep on learning and know how to respect. I'm looking at a photograph of my daddy on the wall right now and, and, and just simply feel a sense of pride. In knowing that they wanted life for their children to be different than it was for them. And we talk about what status we're in right now. I am not sure that we can say with authority that life for many of our children and grandchildren is going to be better than what it has been for their parents and grandparents. That that I'm not even confident that I can say that my grandchildren are going to be better off than I am. That life for them. And so that's where we are as a nation. I don't recall in the history, we are a futuristic country. We always thought and think about the every generation is going to be better off than the generations before them. But we've got thousands and thousands and perhaps even millions of children that I'm not sure that is the case for right now. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, Congressman Davis, uh, I mean, talking to you, Lisa, talking to the congressman is like a slow-cooked meal. Yes. Uh, You're not quick to get up from the table because it tastes so good. (laughs) And uh, I'll tell you, Congressman Davis, I am so honored, and I admire your words. They inspire me 
And I'm sure they inspired the listeners of America who are tuning to this program tonight and focusing on where we are and where we have to go. And the, and I think that's important to share the struggle. It may not be the, as, a, as comfortable to those that perceive it, but the struggle, you can't talk about where you've come from and what you've achieved without the struggle and the path that brought you there. That's right. Um, yeah, but and, 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 and also, you know, a lot of times I hear people of our communities beating up each other and what it is that we didn't do and what we don't do. And, you know, when I hear that, I, I often will admonish, look, if you look at where we come from, the depths of our being. I'm told that a reporter asked Dr. DuBois one time, says, Dr. DuBois says, you know, I go to these meetings you all have, and y'all just moan and groan. (laughs) You just got all these problems. When are black people going to get to the mainstream in American life? And I am told that Dr. Du Bois said to this young reporter, my darling, let me tell you, a people so deprived ought not to be expected to race with the wind. And so if you look at where we come from, I've been in the slave castles in Ghana where my ancestors, your ancestors, when they were marched out of the slave castles in chains and put on ships, never, ever had an opportunity to go back and remember life had been like for them before this moment. Only thing that they saw was the ocean in front of them. And they never went back to their homeland. They never had the opportunity to lay in the arms of their grandparents and say, Grandmama, so and so and so, and so and so and so. Do you know that that is a different existence? Yes. That there is something that you have missed that you now have to try and come. You know, I just think of my own childhood and I think that when we would get sick, my mother could put her hand on my forehead and it looks like the fever that I had would go down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that just just the healing. Well, just think. Our ancestors who were snatched from their homeland, they didn't have the opportunity to have those experiences. And so you look back to understand you, you you look back because it gives you a sense of perspective 
If you don't know where you come from, it's hard to understand how you got to where you are. And don't mention where you ought to be going. <laughs> right. I mean, so, yeah, is this Black History Month? Carter G. Woodson and these guys, Negro History Week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We we have legacies that we can subscribe to and 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 legacies to build upon and and take pride in the art of struggle because as Frederick Douglass said if there is no struggle there's no progress <laughs> and no, so yeah it might be cold on election day might be snowing might be sleeping <laughs> yeah. it might be whatever but it ain't too cold to go out and and vote it, yeah. it, it wasn't too cold for Nat Turner wasn't too cold for Denmark Vesey. <laughs> right. Wasn't too cold for Harriet Tubman. Wasn't too cold for Sojourner Truth. You know? Yeah, so, yes. so, yeah, we, we've got to keep teaching the children so they will know their heritage and where they come from. And I think if we add that to the curriculum in some of our schools, some of the opportunities that we have, that we will produce. And, wow, man, I'll tell you, Dennis, Lisa Cliff, a slow-cooked meal, as we alluded to, talking to Congressman Davis, Gives you that feeling you don't want the bowl to go empty. And tonight, Congressman Davis is fitting the, or has met the bar, if not raised it, for what he's doing in America. Folks, we're coming back with the last segment of our, of our interview with the legend, Congressman Denny Davis. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252 That is a just cause, and we fight for justice. 
Again, call or just calls today. Don't delay. Call one 529 4252 It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. And I'll, I don't know how you're feeling tonight. It's a little patriotic up here at AJC Radio. Dennis, as we have heard the congressman, and they're waving the flags, folks. If you have a flag near you, pull it out, because we actually find ourselves talking to a patriotic lion, if you will, on Capitol Hill by the name of Congressman Danny Davis. And uh, I'll tell you right now, folks. I'll tell you, Dennis, we said it's like a slow-cooked meal. You remember when Mom used to go in the kitchen and prepare something, and you're like, I don't want this to end, and you eat a little bit slower? That's my thought in talking to Congressman Davis. Dennis, your thoughts on that? Exactly. I like how he's straight to the point. Uh, It's not about being politically correct. It's about putting out what's true and what's right. And I'm telling you, I'm enjoying every minute of it. And ladies and gentlemen of America, sit back and enjoy it. We understand it's about 10 after 9 on the East Coast. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you, it's getting a little late. Kids getting ready for bed. Why don't you grab the wife, grab the husband, grab a cup of coffee, some cappuccino, because the we saved the best for last. And here we go. Congressman Danny Davis continues this spotlight on Capitol Hill. You know, I'm I'm I got a book that a lady here in D.C. wrote that I read from time to time called Willie Lee. You know, just Willie Lee. And she starts it off, she says, I'm a teacher. I just love teaching, really I do. Because it gives me a chance to tell our children about the struggles we've been through. (laughs) Uh, Willie Lee was a smart little boy, yes. as smart as he could be. <laughs> there was only two things in life that he wanted. One was to learn to read, and the other was to be free. And I'd like to get this book into the hands of all kinds of teachers who teach young black boys to read who have difficulty getting their attention and holding their attention because the material that they may be using does not really turn them on. Right. But but Willie Lee turns me on. I I just pick it up sometimes and read it. And you know what, Congressman Davis, and, and out of respect for your time, you've been so gracious with us tonight, uh, and we are so honored, uh, Lisa, to the, the, the knowledge, the wisdom of Congressman Davis, and to the people of America listening tonight, uh, I'm sure you are full 
of information that it will definitely, at least it seems it's going to definitely stick with you. It will. It really will. It's one of those things that you, you just got to take in and you take in and you take in and it produces some good things. And Congressman Davis, in closing, uh, I would say this to you. And, and again, I, I look so forward to seeing you in May. And, and the last point I want to just ask you about, if you could comment on, is the, the issue uh, where the homeland of the, the the homeland, if you will, the United States sits at at a point of threat of ISIS, of terrorist groups that are trying to uh, attack this country. I read an article today uh, that stated that uh, America is likely uh, to be at least attempted to be targeted by ISIS this year. Um, as we move into again a point of transition. Uh, and ISIS being such a threat and terrorist groups that want to always attack this country. How important is it that this focus of this year by candidates, members of Congress, the presidency ultimately of the United States, that office, that we take that threat seriously? Oh, I think that it is very important. If, if we look at what happened September the 11th of 2001 if we look at when called small attacks in a sense the impact of those airplanes being directed into the Trade Center and the Pentagon. That changed our way of life so dramatically until it's not funny. I mean, if you look at all the money, for example, since then, that we spend on security, that could have been used if we didn't have to spend it that way on milk and medicine and books and clothing and teachers. It's unbelievable how effective that was. No, they didn't roll no tanks up on the lawn of the White House. <laughs> yeah. But but the 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 way in which our lives have had to readjust yeah. is amazing. So guerrilla warfare uh I used to watch little television. I used to watch something on television called Mosby's Rangers. I'm a Civil War buff. Yes. And there was a soldier, Southern soldier, Captain John Mose. Come on. It would say that this guy didn't have all of the equipment, didn't have as many soldiers. It was cavalry troops. But they'd say both north and south, they knew of his fame. Uh, John Mosby is what they call him. 
yeah. the great ghost is what they call him. John Mose is his name. But they would hit and run and just disrupt. And so you don't always have to have the biggest force. Now, I don't think ISIS would be invading us, you know, with ships and that kind of thing. But yeah, terrorists do a lot of damage and can do a lot of damage. So we have to be on guard. We have to protect ourselves from them both internally and externally. And we have to protect ourselves psychologically and emotionally so that they're not able to disrupt any more than what they've been able to do. Our way of living, our way of life. So yes, ISIS is a threat. And any terrorist entity is a threat to peace and peaceful coexistence. So my answer is unequivocally and without a doubt. We must protect ourselves at all costs. And and that is true. And Congressman Davis, uh, I'm going to leave some information with you. Uh, There is a group of men, six patriots of America, who developed software to basically help keep the homeland safe. Uh, these men, they're known as the IRP-6. If it is okay with you, I would like to forward that information to you, and maybe when we come out there in May, you and I and Lisa can discuss your thoughts on that information because I believe these six men, five African-American, one Italian-American, stood at ground zero and said, not on my watch. We will embrace the entrepreneur spirit of America and keep our children safe. Is that okay with you if we forward That's that quite fine with me. I will look forward to it. And um, I want to thank you for this opportunity to be engaged, to be involved. And uh, it has been thoroughly enjoyed by me. And I hope that it may have been informative to those who have been listening. And I guarantee you, Congressman, it has. And uh, we look yes, forward... It has. It's been uh, a great pleasure for us as well. Yes. And uh, we look forward to uh, getting with you, Congressman, for that uh, youth initiative in the end of May. We look so forward to meeting you again and talking to you. And you have made my evening. Uh, and back to the cornbread and buttermilk, uh, we'll have to try to rustle something up because you... <laughs> All are... right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you both very much, and we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Take care. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen of America. I'll tell you, Dennis, as uh, we have heard from this man, Congressman Danny Davis, uh, doing some great things. I could just I, I I could I could just continue to listen to him talk and share his vision and his uh, enormous experience of what he has seen and what he has gone through and the things that have uh, brought him to be the man and the champion uh, that he has become. Um, Congressman Danny Davis, born in Parkdale, Arkansas, 
on September 6, 1941. Congressman Davis moved to the west side of Chicago in 1961 after having earned a Bachelor of Arts degree from Arkansas A&M and in college. He subsequently earned both master's and doctorate degrees, respectively, from Chicago State University and the Union Institute in Cincinnati, Ohio. He is married to Vera G. Davis, has two sons, Jonathan and Stacy, and is a member and deacon of the New Galilee Missionary Baptist Church. And tonight, Congressman Davis, we tip our hats and we say thank you for the service to America. We're coming right back with the continued coverage of Spotlight on Capitol Hill as we shine the light on a legend, one that's making a difference and has left his footprints on the steps of our nation's capital. His name is Congressman Denny Davis. We're coming right back. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prison and in federal prison. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. You're on your way to meet up with friends, but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. Five seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. 
Make sure you get where you're going. Mr. Speaker, I rise in strong support of HRS 474 and take this opportunity to congratulate all of my colleagues who hold the honor and privilege of fatherhood. It is widely understood and acknowledged that the benefits of an actively involved father in the lives of children not only helps, but play a vital role in the formation of success for youth and in the development of contributing members of society. It should come as no surprise that according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, that fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse. We know that fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of school. Just over 41% of fatherless families with children are poor, while only 7% of children headed by a married couple are considered poor. Furthermore, over two-thirds of mother-only families live twice below the poverty line. Our work today and our work in Congress should not only focus on acknowledging fatherhood, but it should focus on empowering fathers to have the capabilities and incentives to be more responsible for their children. Barriers to employment, such as a lack of high school or college degree, as well as criminal history, substance abuse, all contribute to the lack of fathers in the household and the lack of a regular source of income and the ability to contribute to the family. It is not enough to fill this room with words. The only way to improve the ever-increasing number of families without fathers is through targeting the problems that fathers face by going to the source. One way of doing this is through support of the Responsible Fatherhood and Healthy Families Act. Removing employment barriers for non-custodial parents which mostly tend to be fathers. This would be of a tremendous benefit. By funding grants to promote reasonable fatherhood, we are directly promoting the futures of innocent children while concurrently strengthening the family. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America, to all of our listeners across the United States and around the world. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, Thursday. And tonight we have had the honor, the sincere privilege, of shining a light on a legend, a man that, uh, I'll tell you what, has impacted me in a very short period of time on his knowledge of our society and his vision for tomorrow's America. We are talking about Congressman Denny Davis from Illinois uh, doing some things. And there, Dennis and Cliff and Lisa, there, Congressman Davis is talking about uh, the opportunity as far as uh, uh, for fathers, the importance, the role of the fathers in the home. Uh, we said this earlier that Congressman Davis is connected to the people. Uh, he is connected to issues and you know, he made the statement, he ta talks about where he came from, the struggles that were there, the obstacles 
that were in his way, going to a one-room school growing up, uh, seeing some things, talking about, you know what, you may have to be on food stamps a little bit, but you know what, he said strap on your boots and, and pick yourself up and exactly. pick up a buck. When you hear his his passion, Cliff, as we have heard here, uh, what feeling? I mean, it, it, it's honestly a, a, a huge, awesome feeling that I feel listening to the congressman talk. What were your thoughts as you heard this this legend? Well, again, you know, he does what, uh, you know, most of the, the members of Congress that we've had here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill have done. Is he, he first, he begins by putting the issue on the table. And these are hard issues. I mean, he... He he basically comes against the fantasy of a, of a fair justice system in America and says, look, this is what we're dealing with. It, it may not be fair. It, it has all kind of issues. There's all kind of reform that needs to be dealt with. But first, we have to put that on the table, and then we have to attack those things. And uh, Congressman Davis, he does that. He deals with the fact by first putting it on the table and say, this is what we're dealing with. Now, let's deal with fixing it. He, he totally breaks down, uh, you know, this, this fantasy of the system is fair. He says it's not. And there are some things that you might have to deal with. Like he said, you might have to be on food stamps starting out. Things might not be fair. You might not have the job that you want. But he said, but what you have to do as an American citizen, at the best of your ability, is you have to get up. You have to pick yourself up and say, you know what, I'm not going to stay in this position, but he starts by dispelling the fact that there is, you know, uh, quote unquote, full equal opportunity. And I think I think that is to be commended because these are hard issues that he's dealing with, hard issues that he's putting on the table, but they have to be put on the table and they have to be dealt. With. Well, he says here, I thought which was good, the Julia Carson, and I think that's what he was referencing, uh, the Julia Carson Responsible Fatherhood and Healthy Families Act of 2015 and uh, it goes on to uh, it says to amend uh, the title of the social security act to ensure funding for grants to promote responsible fatherhood and strengthen low-income families and for other purposes how do you have an act that deals with rewarding responsible fathers does that not send a message to america while we're throwing our fathers in prisons we're throwing away the key. He says, wait a minute. Give some incentive to motivate, to encourage, and to inspire yes. responsible father. Dennis, what does that make you feel, man? It makes, I'm telling you, it's awesome. And what I like about the congressman is he's real. Uh, let's, not, let's not hide the fact that uh, minorities are at a disadvantage. Let's, let's not hide the fact that uh, there is serious poverty in this country. And the majority of uh, people, the people that are experiencing this poverty are minorities. So how do we fix it? We fix it with education. We fix it with programs. Again, like he said about the Responsible Fatherhood Act, we, we, we bring in these different programs, these different laws, these different bills that can assist minorities with a foot up so that they can get up and do what they need to do. I mean, that's absolutely awesome. Uh, he goes on, folks, uh, the, the, the uh, House Bill 248 Child Poverty Reduction Act of 2015. Uh, bill establishes in the administration for children and families of the Department of Health and Human Services, the federal uh, working group on reducing child poverty 
And the working group is its primary goal should develop a national plan to reduce within 10 years the number of children living in poverty in the United States to half the number cited in the report of the U.S. Census Bureau on income, poverty, and health insurance coverage in the United States. Uh, wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's all you can say to that is these are issues. We say this all the time on this program. The children, and you heard the congressman allude to it. Exactly. He, the children are our future. They are the future of this country. If our children are starving to death, they can't think right when they're sitting at school. Exactly. They can't learn appropriately when they're in the classroom. Why then, this is so very important, is what for one reason. We are shaping tomorrow's America. Exactly. That's exactly what we're doing. And if you go through some of the things that the congressman uh, is, and we'll just run down here, sickle cell disease research, Surveillance Prevention and Treatment Act of 2015, uh, uh, Supportive School Climate Act of 2015, uh, uh, I mean, also uh, House Bill 5787, to amend the Internal Revenue Code of 1986 to exclude payments received under the Work Colleges Program from gross income, income, excuse me, including payments made from institutional funds. And it says the bill, I presume, uh, is to amend the Internal Revenue Code of 1986 to exclude payments received under the work colleges program. He is, again, leaning on lightening the burden, lightening the load for college students uh, and those things. Gun Violence Prevention and Safe Communities Act of 2013. Everything about community, safety, the future of America. Uh, Cliff, when you hear these things, I know you alluded to earlier, he puts the issues and the important issues on the table. You can't you can't it, there's no other way to do it that's right and you know to uh lean toward the point that you were making earlier you and dennis both actually saying that you you have there you know he's got the program for the fathers to say here's an incentive to be a good father here's an incentive to uh to do what's right and then he has another act that he's coming out it's called the minority male academic achievement study and basically what this is saying is that for uh it directs the secretary of education to commission a national study of underrepresented minority males particularly african-american and hispanic american males who successfully progress from high school through higher education and to make specific recommendations to congress and states on new approaches for increasing the number of minority males who make such progress and advance them into careers in which they are underrepresented. So he's saying, hey, there's an underrepresentation of minority males in the workplace in, in certain aspects, in, in technology, in engineering, in mathematics, in science. So when these, when these, uh, when these minority males, when they make it through high school and into ed- to higher education, to give them basically a fast track, a route to say, you know what, you are showing initiative that you really want to to push and and become something better in life. So he's saying this 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 bill will help them to basically make it through the red tape of internships of uh you know basically affirmative action and things of that nature to get them in front of the people that they need to be in front of so that the minority male can be represented can be represented 
in these in these professions. I mean, we had on the show, uh, we were talking about this issue before, and they said at places like Twitter and Facebook and Microsoft and Google that the minorities there are like 10% or something like that. With everybody who uses social media, everybody, you would think that the representation would be much higher than that. This bill uh, is put in place to ensure that those who have that desire and who have that uh, that fortitude that they can be helped to get into these uh, into these positions into these these companies that really need a better representation of minorities. Well, what it does it speaks to the integrity yes. of Congressman Davis. Yes, and I'll tell you what it's not about I, it's about team. And I heard that coming up. Uh, you know, as a kid, you, you, you know, you, you join the basketball, there's no I in team. Right. It's about setting out, and I believe the team here that Congressman Davis is, is standing, stepping up to the plate to, who is that team? It's the American people, uh, and we're all part of that same team. And to have a member of Congress, as Congressman Davis, someone who is speaking his mind, he says, I don't, if you, if you don't want to talk about the issues, he said, don't bring them. He said, don't, don't ask for my vote. If you don't want to put the issues on the table and address the issues that nobody wants to talk about. Well, now in America, the issues that we talk about tonight and that Congressman Davis is addressing and dealing with are the issues that are uncomfortable. But unless we face them, we'll never get, go beyond that point uh, to deal with that. And Congressman uh, Davis went as far as uh, talking about, of course, the middle class and the tax breaks that, help, that can help America in helping the middle class. And uh, he actually made a statement about this. Let's see what he had to say. Speaker, pursuant to Clause 2A, Paragraph 1 of Rule 9, I rise to give notice of my intention to offer a resolution to raise a question of the privileges of the House. The form of the resolution is as follows. Whereas although our nation's economy is gradually improving after one of the worst economic crises in our nation's history, the economic crisis remains a daily reality for the 13.3 million unemployed workers and for the millions of Americans experiencing record levels of food insecurity, poverty, and foreclosure. Whereas the national unemployment rate is 8.6%, with over 42.8% of all unemployed workers, more than 5.7 million people haven't been out of work for more than six months. And whereas while there were 1.8 unemployed Americans for every job opening in December 2007, when the Great Recession began, Data recently released by the Department of Labor show that as of October 2011, there were over 4.3 unemployed Americans for every job opening. And whereas data recently released by the Department of Labor show that as of October 2011, there were 3.3 million job openings, which is well below the 4.8 million job openings in March 2007, when job openings were at their highest point during the most recent business cycle. And whereas recent data demonstrate that most unemployed Americans no longer receive unemployment insurance benefits, reflecting the crisis that exists for the millions of Americans 
who have exhausted their benefits and still cannot find work. And there you have it. Uh, the congressman speaking about the unemployment numbers that are, are clear. And I think this was not the, uh, Dennis, the tax break argument, but he's making the argument of extending uh, unemployment benefits. How many times in this country has Congress had to go to the floor and say, please extend the unemployment benefits to Americans? True. And, and he's it's not like Americans want to be out of work. You know, come on, let's be realistic. A lot of... Uh, we can't look at it as always somebody's trying to get a free ride. You know, jobs are limited. I mean, things happen, so we got to be prepared. And, and I truly agree with the congressman. Let's do the right thing. Let's do the right thing. And the recession he's talking about, what are you going to do when nobody's hiring? You're going to take the food off the table? You're going to say, well, you're, you're on your own. That's not American. Not at all. It's not America, and it shouldn't in any way. And what I respect about Congressman Davis... He gives, he does his homework. He's giving Congress the numbers, saying, look, millions are out of work. Do we take the food off the table? Do we take the food out of the mouths of our children? That's unacceptable. There's a reason we went to the, we went to the, to the, to the voting booths and voted, that our elected officials speak for us. Exactly. Congressman Davis has stepped to the plate and said, I will speak for the American people. And I'll tell you right now, folks, it doesn't get any better than that. And Lisa, as you hear Congressman Davis and, and the interview and what he's talking about and what he's pushing and his passion, it, it, it becomes contagious. It makes you want to just run out of here and say, man, what can I do to make a difference? Lisa, your thoughts on the congressman? Yes, as I said earlier, I believe he's a very uh, he's a very interesting man. He's very he's very likable, very nice guy. You enjoy talking to him and listening to him talk. He just reminds you of just that, like you said before, that uncle or that grandfather that you just sit and laugh with and talk with. He's just he's just an all around likable guy. And he's making things happen, and that's what actually makes a difference. Uh, we talked earlier his uh, point for healthcare and uh, uh, that he actually worked uh, in the healthcare industry. Uh, can have a feel and a feeling uh, for uh, making an actual difference. And I think that's important. And, and Dennis, I think it speaks to the fact when he's talking about the, the journey of, of Obamacare being passed and what it meant to him and how proud he was for the millions of Americans. You know, you hear people talk all the time, we're going to do the way with help. What are you going to tell the millions of people and families and children? I like what he said when he said <laughs> most of the people that are against affordable health care, they have health care. Exactly. <laughs> they already have health care. And, and that is the thing is that we can't as Americans look at the fact that, okay, because a person is less fortunate than I am, that they that I don't understand their need or, or I don't need to, to help them out because they're less fortunate than I am. The American way is that we are all here helping each other. That is that is democracy. That the American dream is about helping each other dream. Exactly. And that's what that's what you know. Some people have have gotten away from, and it, it's a tragedy. But 
Congressman Davis says, hey, we got to come back over here. We have to look at the person who's less fortunate than we are and understand that that's what we're, we're put here to do to help them out. Exactly. And it couldn't be, look, man, I wish I had another three hours to talk about Congressman Davis. For I'll tell you, it's a full plate of information. I am so thrilled tonight. We want to spend a, send a very special thanks to Congressman Davis of Illinois in Washington, D.C., for taking time with AJC Radio, giving us an exclusive interview to hear his vision of America, his passion. And I'll tell you, I'm inspired tonight. I'm sure as all the American people who have tuned into this program tonight feel a sense of, man, I feel pretty good. I don't know how you felt when you turned on AJC Radio tonight, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, but I'll tell you right now, there's some mojo flowing, if you will, here at AJC Radio, and it comes from the inspired words of Congressman Davis. It's very, very special thanks for him uh, doing that. Uh, we appreciate that so very much. And, Lisa, we look forward. Uh, he's part of the Foster Care Initiative uh, in Washington, D.C. We look forward to, uh, to that. So that's going to be a great time uh, down there in Washington. But what happens right now, what you didn't know about the RP6, but this is a very unusual discussion tonight in regarding the resignation of former pardon attorney Deborah Leff. And we're going to dig into that now. Uh, but this is what you didn't know about the IRP6. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And, and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the IRP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to jail. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it.
You may ask yourself the question, how does injustice run rampant in the streets of America? It is unbelievable, it is uncomprehendable that injustice continues to stand. We dedicate this program and this show, as all shows, to the IRP6, Patriots of America, who sought out to make a difference to protect the homeland and that violence and another 9-11 would not happen on their watch. Who are these six Patriots of America, champions, if you will, of justice? Dave Zapolo, David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Tonight we take a very serious look into the sudden uh, resignation of former partner attorney Deborah Leff and the reasons why she decided to walk away. Cliff, this speaks to the IRP6 in direct relation because clemency applications have been filed for their release. What is going on in America, Cliff? Yeah, when you, you know, you look at this article and uh, the, the, the former pardon attorney, Deborah Left, she left office after less than two years. And the things that she says, you know, uh, her, her letter that she, her letter of resignation was, uh, was obtained through a, a FOIA request by USA Today. And the things that she says in this letter about the reasons that, that she left the office, uh, you know, she says that, I mean, her letter suggests that a broken and bureaucratic process of out of all things, bureaucracy that are at odds with President Obama's own aim to exercise his pardon power more aggressively in the final months of his, pres- his presidency. Left wrote that the administration's focus on the clemency initiative at the expense of traditional pardons and commutations means that the request of thousands of petitioners seeking justice will be unheard. That is totally, totally ridiculous. But then when she gets into into the reasons and how the whole thing is failing, she says that this is inconsistent with the mission and values to which I have dedicated my life and inconsistent with what I believe the department should represent. Uh, I mean, she is the U.S. pardon attorney, and this, this article says the job of the U.S. pardon attorney is to investigate all of those cases and make a recommendation to the deputy attorney general, who then forwards it to the White House's counsel office and ultimately the president. Because the pardon attorney advises the president on sensitive cases, the process is usually cloaked in secrecy and officials rarely discuss the process publicly. But she said she was not even able to go in and, and talk about her reasoning for pardoning someone for, uh, for desiring to grant them clemency, that she wasn't allowed to go to make this argument with the president. And she said that that Deputy Attorney General Sally Killian Yates had overruled her recommendations in an increasing number of cases, and that in those cases, the president was unaware of the differences, excuse me, of the differences of opinion. And she says, I believe that prior to making the serious and complex decisions underlying clemency, it is important for the president to have a full set of views. Why is it so important what she's saying? Her job. She is the official who is responsible for making clemency recommendations for the president. For her not to be able to communicate to the president and for him not to be aware of the fact that she's making this request, she she basically got cut out of the whole process, which is totally insane 
And again, that's why the title of this article is that the system was broken, and that's what she laid out in her in her resignation letter. This is this is at, I mean the 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 first word you think of this is this is sad, and it just, and for it to for the bureaucracy to go against the president wanting to help. Uh, you know, those who are incarcerated wrongfully, those whose sentences should be, uh, you know, commuted, meaning meaning to be shortened for him not to get the opportunity for her not to as her job. Her job is to show these to the president exactly. for her not to be able to do that, not to be able to show him that, hey, these are the people that I feel like deserve a chance. These are the people that I feel like were wrongfully convicted and we need to allow them to get out of prison. And she didn't get a chance. To voice that to the president, this well, is a miscarriage of justice. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it rings of, of obstruction of justice for those that block her way to the Oval Office. Uh, and that the president, I'm sure, is now made aware of what is going on because he must appoint somebody to that post. And she writes here, uh, what you alluded to, Cliff, uh, states that in the final months of his presidency, left wrote that the administration's focus on the clemency initiative at the expense of traditional pardons and computations means that the request of thousands of petitioners seeking justice will lie unheard. That is the injustice above all. Yes, definitely. That is Absolutely. the bottom line, and you can't have uh, you can't have that happening as people seek justice. We have, ladies and gentlemen of America, the IRP six are six of many who sit and languish in prison. For a crime that they never committed That is unacceptable And the fact that you have The fact I have blocked the path to the president For pardon attorney Jeff Is unacceptable And it says that You know when when this whole uh, Initiative started out In 2014 And and, uh, President Obama said that You know he wanted to He wanted to have this initiative He He wanted to Get ten thousand people, uh, you know, have their senses reduced under this program, or to be released altogether. It says so far he has granted less than two percent of those. Less than two percent. And it says that since the administration announced this initiative, that the applications for clemency have exploded. Uh, granted, but it says there are now ten thousand seventy-three clemency. Cases pending three times as many as in 2013. You're talking about, and President Obama said, I wanted to get 10,000 of those people out by the end of his term. And uh, basically, it, uh, Left says also, she says, I fully support and, administer, and admire the administration's groundbreaking and much needed launch of the clemency initiative and the possibility of justice it brings to so many deserving people. But given the department has not fulfilled its commitment to provide the resources necessary for my office, to make timely and thoughtful recommendations on clemency to the president, given your statement that the needed staff will not be forthcoming. How do you say we're not going to give you the staff that you need to get this done? How do they make that statement to her and then expect for her to do that job? Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'll tell you what, when Cliff gets going, you better pull up a chair and pay attention. This is the issue in America. Perpetrators of justice again we asked for the president to grant clemency to these six men. Who are they? Dave Zapolo, David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Lisa, the perpetrators of justice who put them there. Who are they? U.S. Attorney John Walsh, 
Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Staten Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, Lisa Cliff. Yes, I want to say thank you to everyone in the chat room, all of our callers. Anybody we didn't get to, we apologize to you. Call back, uh, and we will get your comments. Also, I want to say thank you to our production team, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson of K&D Productions, helping out Ale Skillers Girl in the control room to make sure you hear what it is that we have to say. Also, to our production support team, they give us accurate and up-to-date information so that we can pass that on to you. And to the truth, we know you're out there. We appreciate it. And ladies and gentlemen of America, if you're feeling patriotic, don't miss us every Thursday here for Spotlight on Capitol Hill. A very special thanks to Congressman Denny Davis and a special shout out to his staff. And for this, folks, I'll tell you what, it means something to go to the polls and vote. And Congressman Davis has shown us the purpose for that. Go to change.org, search IRP6, sign the petition as we seek for justice for the, RP, for, for the uh, six men who were wrongfully convicted. Folks, until next time, we're signing out here from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. Good night, America. We'll see you next time. Good night. Good night. You solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations, you're now members of the 114th Congress. Good morning. I'm Congressman Danny Davis, representing the 7th District of Illinois, and I want to take this opportunity to commend Kevin Gates and Operation Reform for all of the outstanding work that they're doing and to welcome all of you to this timely gathering of what I consider to be one of the most important issues facing our nation, mass incarceration and the successful reentry of individuals returning home from jail or prison. We know that each year more than 600,000 individuals are released from jails and prisons, and in an effort to reduce recidivism and increase the self-sufficiency of individuals. I, Senator Rob Portman, and many other members of Congress have been passing, funding, and reauthorizing second chance legislation in the Congress. We have held countless discussions, meetings, forums, and briefings. In addition, each year I hold a panel discussion at the Congressional Black Caucus's annual legislative conference to discuss the best practices and solutions for successful reentry programs. Since being signed into law with bipartisan support in 2008, 
The Second Chance Act has made possible nearly 600 grants, totaling about $300 million, to increase public safety and reduce through the development and coordination of pre- and post-release reentry services, such as employment training, substance abuse treatment, mentoring, and improved community supervision. Yeah.